today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Yesterday, Doug Ford made his first visit to Hamilton as premier. Business leaders across Hamilton attended a 75-minute meeting in a boardroom at Hamilton International Airport. To talk more about all of this, Kathy Puckering is with us, president and CEO of John C. Monroe Hamilton International Airport and is with us now. Kathy, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. Good afternoon, Scott. So when did you find out that the premier was coming to visit? We got a call on Tuesday uh, afternoon, I believe, and uh, at first we we actually had two separate calls. We were asked to attend a roundtable discussion, and then we were also asked if we could actually provide a 30-minute tour um, for Premier Ford and MPP Donna Skelly as well to to showcase the uh, cargo activity that we're actually um, um, producing here at the airport, as well as to uh, showcase our cargo center that was a successful uh, government um, partially funded uh, project that we completed in the summer of 2015. So that's pretty cool to not only be a part of this, but uh, as well uh, get a chance to uh, to have the Premier's ear for a, for a while and show the facility off. Oh, exactly. So we had our our, our spot with, with them uh, just before the roundtable discussion, and uh, we were able to to show him the cargo center, talk a little bit about the economic impact that we're actually seeing with uh, with goods movements. You know, the, obviously we we're seeing growth, significant growth here with our cargo, fourteen um, percent last year, and it's uh, basically due to you know online shopping, e-commerce. You know, our partners are, are expanding their operations, you know, outside of Canada into Europe and, and, and into the South. So we were able to showcase them that. And as well, it actually was a very busy time here at the airport when, when he was here with um, our afternoon passenger activity. So he was able to see, you know, aircraft on the airfield getting ready to depart by Swoop, uh, WestJet and, and Flair and uh, possibly Air Canada. So uh, it was exciting for him to actually see that. And um, we were able to, to showcase the facility and let him see our airfield uh, in action. Perfect. Uh, what did the Premier think? What was the vibe? The, the, the focus really, again, was on job creation and growth. And, you know, what, what role does the Hamilton Airport actually play in our economy um, and the, the job creation and economic impact that we have in the region? So outlining not only the successes that we've had, you know, we talked a lot about what the opportunities are coming up for us. And, and what we've actually seen is, you know, with, you know, airports and air transportation are, are very, you know, uh, critical to the national transportation system and the movement, you know, of trade and goods and tourism, but also investment, you know, and job creation. So with all of the partners that we have here, you know, we're currently seeing almost 3,500 jobs that are a direct result of airport activity. And the focus was on that. So how do we, you know, maintain that? How do we grow that? And, and what are the opportunities that lay ahead? And his response to all of this. And, what, and this was in just the chat that you guys had before the actual roundtable, correct? It was, yeah. it was. So, yes. So definitely it's, it's all about the people. And what can we do to, you know, further expand, you know, the opportunities here, mm-hmm. um, encourage investment, um, having our partners make choices to build and expand here, and ultimately, you know, increasing the amount of jobs that, that, that we're able to provide in the Hamilton area. 
Uh, this, this in specific to your business uh, rather than the Premier at this point, but we'll certainly get back to that. Uh, obviously, we've seen the Hamilton International Airport go through ebbs and flows and stuff over its time. Is it just a matter of time? You talked about the, um, you know, even just the, the increase you've seen in cargo, which has always been a staple there uh, through uh, e-commerce and such. I mean, the future only has to get brighter, No. Yes, and we've been, you know, you know, discussing this for quite some time. And you've got a couple of things at play here. You've got, you know, Hamilton itself has transformed. You know, we talk about the right. renaissance that it's going through and the people that are, you know, choosing to live, you know, and, and call Hamilton their home. You've also got, you know, people that are expecting to travel for with low fares. Right. And, you know, that hasn't always been an option until the low-cost carrier entered our market about 24 months ago, and what you're seeing now is, you know, the the carriers are actually stimulating new demand. People can actually travel that couldn't afford to do so before, or they're able to, to travel with larger family units mm. and or travel more frequently. And then when you look at um, online shopping and e-commerce, you know, again, it's it's personal preference that people are actually expecting now to shop, you know, from their homes and have it delivered to their door. So, you know, we are the largest overnight express cargo airport in Canada, and, you know, we're facilitating the goods through here. You know, a lot of the Amazon product that you may be ordering and receiving at your home is actually, you know, touching touching the ground here, you know, through air, and then on truck mm-hmm. onto our road systems, you know, to your doors. So all of those things ca- kind of coming to play now are are changing, you know, the 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 atmosphere here at the airport in Hamilton. Great to see. All right, let's talk about the round table. Uh, who was at the table? So there was about 15 CEOs all representing, you know, various, you know, areas of industry. There mm-hmm. was a big focus on, you know, steel, manufacturing, um, developers. The Obviously, the airport was there. The Port Authority was there. Uh, the meeting was actually facilitated by um, MPP Skelly, and it was coordinated and arranged by the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. Um, so the attendees were actually, you know, through invite by the chamber and by Ke- Keenan Lewis, Loomis and his team. Oh, that's an interesting point because there's lots of buzz around it that the mayor was not there. Is, right, that, so is, this, is this a sort of event that the mayor would be at, or is this a chamber event? Uh, this was a chamber event, and the you know it was through the CEO group that that do meet on a regular basis that were given you know the opportunity to attend this meeting. So, do you think it's odd that the mayor wasn't there? I'm not sure if it was odd. There was there wasn't any you know political representation you yeah. know from the from the city, and it was you know my understanding uh, Premier Ford wanted to have uh, uh, an intimate discussion with with business owners and CEOs in Hamilton to understand, you know, what are the challenges that, that, that we face in the private sector? What is it that the government of Ontario uh, can do to actually work towards helping them to, to succeed? You know, questions were asked on what would need to change, you know, to enable businesses to grow, encourage investment. And, you know, one of the, the words that we heard quite often was, is there any red tape that needs to be revisited that, you know, could be simplified in order to to help make, you know, Ontario and Hamilton open for business. Was that coming from the Premier or from businesses? That was coming from the Premier, like mm. the, the questions that were posed, and then soliciting, you know, in, input and feedback on that. So was it more a gathering of information for the Premier or a gathering of information for business? 
Oh, it was definitely uh, providing opportunities for for the premier and his office to understand, you know, what the challenges are mm-hmm. um, for business and what's impacting us today in this community. As far as challenges, because, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Hamilton is going through a renaissance. Um, you know, we certainly are seeing growth, uh, thank goodness, that has been, you know, absent for, for the last few decades. Uh, was, the, was the just of the meeting positive? Was it great things were happening in Hamilton? Or was it, hey, we need this? There was just a lot of discussion topics that were driven by, you know, what's currently impacting your business that we can work to improve. So, yes, everybody definitely, you know, was positive when it comes to the successes that that they're having. But that wasn't really what the focus of the meeting was. It's, you know, what is the red tape or what are those things that are preventing you from further growing your business or that you may envision, you know, that could further, you know, impact your business. When it came to specifics, you know, for the airport, I mean, what we've been looking at for quite some time is that, you know, we've got significant growth and, you know, we need to expand our infrastructure. You know, our our tenant partners have identified, you know, that there's a workforce gap within this area and how can we work together with academia to actually ensure that we've got, you know, technically trained, you know, aviation technicians and aerospace you know, um, um, engineers that would be feeding into our industry. And then the, a third one that actually was was common a bit through the group as well was, you know, how do we ensure that goods movement, you know, continues to grow? And, and with con- potential congestion today on the transportation system and focusing on the whole intermodal connectivity, which Hamilton is is very fortunate to have, how can we further ensure that the the focus in these areas um, will be a priority for businesses in the province to ensure that we have what we need to today and tomorrow. How much time, uh, or what did the Premier have to say in regard to transportation? Was there any mention of LRT? Is that to a municipal issue? Uh, ra- uh, rail, roads, was there, you know, you talked about congestion, which, uh, again, with you guys, you know, sort of starting a, a hub at this end of the lake, that's obviously very valuable to you and the other businesses, I'm sure. Was there any chatter about any infrastructure in that regard? We definitely talked about, you know, the, the mid the, the mid pen, the LRT. What was not mentioned was not brought up at all. Um, we were basically considering, you know, when you look at good goods movement and the intermodal opportunities. There was a lot of focus on the port and the airport and then the roadways, you know, and just sort of taking away some of the, you know, constraints or bottlenecks that you're seeing right now and. You know, what should we be focusing on, you know, with with the movement in those areas? So it was more a gathering of ideas, you know, from the group and, you know, providing, you know, a sharing of information with the Premier's office. Um, this is probably just, the, you know, the starting point. You know, this was his first, first visit to Hamilton. And what, what we, we clearly heard was, you know, the province is on side with all of us and what can we do to continue to move forward with some of these initiatives and, and further these discussions to ensure that, you know, uh, Hamilton and Ontario is order, open for business and how can we eliminate, you know, these bottlenecks and challenges. Did he have much to say uh, about a mid-peninsula corridor? How important is that to you? Well, obviously, the, the the road system is very important to us. I mean, goods move by the by air, but they're also moving, you know, by ground to get to and from the airport. So we've always been an advocate of the mid pen and and improving traffic to the border and through the border. 
uh, just enabling the ability for trade um, to keep goods, you know, moving. And and the intermodal connectivity is is very important, you know, to us, uh, to the port, and and to all the the organizations that are operating in Hamilton. Did he give any sort of indication of support for any of this? Well, he's obviously support supportive of you know growing business you know in 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 Ontario. And what about? That spe- is his I was just priority. referring specifically to the Mid Peninsula. Any more mention on that? Again, it was information gathering, taking that all yeah. back, and I think what you'll see is a series of of hopefully what we'll see is a series of next steps on you know, what support can be provided, you know, and what will, you know, the province of Ontario do to support the changes that we know need to happen to enable us to continue to compete as we do today and, you know, to expand globally. Like it's more about a broader regional engagement and how can, you know, the province of Ontario be part of that with the business community. So a round table full of uh, business movers and shakers in the city, who was there with him? What uh, other members of his cabinet, other members of his team that were there? Other than the his advanced team, uh, it was himself, his aide, and then uh, MPP Donna Skelly was, was here as well. And how much are those others involved in the meeting? Is he the ringleader there as far as, you know, uh, what they're talking about? Or is, is, obviously the staff's gathering the information that, that they're hearing from people. But is, is he in there uh, up on the wheel asking you questions? It was very much the the business community was providing feedback to the theme of the day, you know, the topic right. of discussion. So what are your So he's there to listen, yeah. He was definitely there to listen and right. and we we had a very good discussion through the 75 minutes that we were all around the table. Uh, so after the, first of all, what's it like to be in these meetings? Because the average Joe doesn't get to do this. What, what's it like to sit there with these people? Well, it's very exciting when you think about the opportunities that we have. You yeah. know, Hamilton is strategically positioned in a very good place. Ontario, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, we are open for business and and. Having, you know, the Premier listen to what your challenges are and, you know, making a commitment to continue to talk with you and work, you know, with all industry and business is, you know, it's the first step, you know, in, in, in this new government that we have in Ontario. So after you have this meeting and you, uh, you know, retrieve to your office or whatever and let it all sink in, what's your feeling on it all? Do you have a good vibe about it? Well, from the airport, I can only... Don't you hate how I'm always asking you political (laughs) questions you can't answer? (laughs) Well, the airport, we've been, you know, lobbying and advocating as long as Tradeport's been managing this airport. And we do have some significant successes. We always are working very closely with our partners, both passenger and cargo. And, you know, we know what it is that they need uh, to be successful. So, you know, we'll lobby and we'll advocate in those areas. And, you know, we may have specific needs that may, you know, differ from the group. But there are some some very much common threads, you know, throughout, you know, the business um, environment in the Hamilton area. And we'll continue, you know, to work with the chamber, to work with our business partners, and again, to work, you know, here with the tenants and the operators that, that are making the, the airport successful. When you think of that round table, even if the premier of the day isn't there, how often does this group of people get together and have discussions like this, even if it isn't of a, you know, with the political leader of the day, uh, you know, looking for information? Uh, and, and, and what do you all get from sitting around a table like that, whether the premier's there or not? 
Well, the Hamilton Chamber is very, you know, forward-looking and proactive when it comes to gathering, you know, the business community in Hamilton. We we meet on a very regular basis about initiatives, either with, you know, the economic summits, CEO meetings, you know, after business functions. Um, it is a very close group, and there is a lot of interaction on business issues in Hamilton. So it's a pretty exciting time, isn't it? It's very exciting. Um, it was it was a very great opportunity to hear about all the issues, and it was very good to be talking directly to the premier and 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 our local um, PC uh, MPP yesterday. Do you get the feeling that people are more interested in Hamilton now than they were, say, a decade ago? And that and by that I mean the leaders of, of the day, the the pre, whether it's it's one party or the other. Have, have we are we gaining more attention? Are people listening when we're speaking now? Well, I, I, I'm hopeful that people have always listened when we spoke. I mean, business has been, you know, the business leaders in Hamilton have been here forever. And, you know, this, the initiatives, while, you know, the specific tactics may change slightly from year to year or decade to decade, Hamilton is still, you, you know, uh, an, an excellent and an amazing city and, and, and business has always, always done well. So hopefully that we'll continue to do that and, and having access into a changed, you know, provincial government, uh, maybe opening up the door for new opportunities for us all. All right, last question. How do you think the, the Premier responded? I mean, you, you certainly can't speak for him, but when he walked out the door, how, what do you think he was thinking about the hammer? He was very impressed with what he saw. Um, he did do a bit of a tour here and, and visited a few businesses while he was here and uh Definitely saw that you know Hamilton is open for business, and there 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 are opportunities to ensure that we continue to grow. Kathy Puckering has been with us, president and CEO of John C. Monroe Hamilton International Airport. Kathy, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you very much, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Donald Trump at it again, suggesting on Thursday that the U.S. is freezing Canada out of NAFTA negotiations. Uh, Trump's negotiation, uh, Trump's negotiators have been in meetings with Mexican negotiators in Washington over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and the clip that he had, do we have, can we find it yet? We're still looking for it. Uh, we've got lots of pictures of it, but no actual audio of it. And he's basically sitting there being Donald Trump and saying, oh, you know, Canada, they're on the sidelines. We're not talking to them until they do something about their dairy and their lumber and their autos. And, uh, you know, like one, you know, five minutes ago, he was trashing the Mexicans and whatever. Now he's speaking with them and using them as a wedge between uh, them and us. Now it's, oh, I'm loving Mexico. We're talking to them. I love the new president. He's a great guy. Even though he's got a country full of rapists and criminals and such. Uh, I love that he didn't say that. I'm making that up. Uh, but he seems to be now uh, cozying up to them, you know, when he was kicking mud in their face uh, a, a few weeks ago and, and vice versa with us. We seem to be the bad guy at this point. Um, let's bring in Marvin Ryder. Perhaps he can decode all this. Business professor at the Group School of Business, McMaster University. He is with us now. Marvin, thank you so much for taking the time. You're even on vacation, are you not? Uh, and I'm in the evil empire of California. Oh, my goodness. If uh, anybody hears this call, you could be like just sent to the border and, and told to walk out. I, 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 do you feel safe down there talking about this sort of thing? 
I, I'm going under a Mexican surname, so they have no idea who I am. That's right. He's in the cone of silence. All right. So I heard the clip the other day, uh, and and basically he he sounded like he was blowing off Canada, and uh, we're you know as if we're knocking on the door and he won't let us in. No, right. no, it's just us in Mexico right now. What are your thoughts on that statement? Right. So first, let me just take you back a little more context around the statement. Yesterday, Thursday, they had a. Uh, We'll call it a cabinet briefing, but it's really mostly a photo op where all the cabinets sit around the table and Donald, looking presidential, goes to each person and says, give me an update, give me a two-minute update of what's going on. Because Donald doesn't read things, he only listens to things and he wants it nice and short. So when he got to Mr. Lighthizer, that's the man who's in charge of negotiating NAFTA, and Mr. Lighthizer said, as you pointed out, that they've been negotiating intensely with Mexico. Things are going well. They think they might have a, de- uh, a deal, quote, within days. And, of course, Donald then responded, that's wonderful. You know, as you say, I really like that Mexican president. Uh, and then he thought, thought he'd share with the cameras, well, we're not talking with Canada right now. There are big problems with Canada. We're going to try to get the deal done with Mexico first. Now, that's also Mr. Lighthizer's strategy because there were parts of NAFTA that really were problematic just for the Mexicans. Uh, one of those, which we also have a great interest in, is the auto sector, uh, but the problem isn't with Canadian wages, it's with Mexican wages. So we wanted Mexico to agree to increasing its minimum wage, some more things around content rules. And if he can get a deal with Mexico on that, that's, that's great news for Canada because we like it too. Another thing that the Mexicans seem to have been able to do with Mr. Lighthizer is to get him to walk away from this idea that it's a five-year deal, that they're, we call it a sunset clause, that it would automatically expire in five years. I think quite correctly, if it takes us a year to negotiate something, we shouldn't then see it expire five years down the road. We should see a longer period of time. Now, again, having said all of that, what the Americans seem to be trying to do is to get a deal with Mexico and then come to Canada, and then they want to have everything wrapped up by the end of August. Why? The current president of Mexico, a fellow named Peña Nieto, is in office as president until December 1. Even though the Senate and the House won't be able to ratify a new NAFTA deal, Peña Nieto could uh, do this if it can be done by August 31. So what it appears is going on is they're trying to get Mexico sorted out and then come to us and say, you've got two weeks, let's get all the rest of our things sorted out so we can get this deal quickly. Put a lot of pressure on us. For the moment, uh, Christia Freeland, our foreign affairs minister, is in contact both with the Mexicans and with the Americans. So even though we're not at the table, we're not exactly shut out or operating in ignorance. And, and we do then have a few things that are unique to us. One, of course, is supply management. Another one that was very keen with us, and I think the Mexicans agree with us on this, is how we resolve disputes uh, between the different parties. Remember, the Americans want it all done in American courts if your complaint is with them. If the complaint is with you, then we'll go back to a three-party deal and, and what have you. And then uh, one other thing is around intellectual property rights. I think they're all solvable, and I think they can all be solved in a couple of weeks, but it won't be with us just ca- caving into whatever it is the Americans want. Uh, last thing, and then I'll give this back to you, Scott. Uh, Donald Trump is not the man we're negotiating with, and I think his knowledge of what's actually happening at the table is, is thin at best and probably non-existent in another way. So I, I really would like everyone just to stop listening to Donald Trump's tweets, if you can. He, he really doesn't know what he's saying. Most <laughs> with all due respect, Marvin, how can the world stop listening to the president of the free world, even if he is Donald Trump? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, you know, earlier this year I was lucky enough to be on a little holiday also in uh, Portugal, and it appears in Europe that this is exactly what they're doing. They're turning out, tuning out the president. They pay attention to some of the cabinet ministers, they pay attention to some other people, but because he's become so buffoon-like with some of his comments, just to give you another example, you're talking about the one around NAFTA, but yesterday he linked Canadian softwood lumber to forest fires in California. I've got that written down on my list. Let's go there. Your thoughts on that? Well, it, you know, it's just craziness. So uh, Donald Trump, although he's a, a, a contractor, he builds things, clearly does not understand where lumber comes from. So his comment goes like this. We have all these forests in California. Trees have toppled over. There are millions of board feet of potential lumber sitting on the ground. If we just did a better job of getting that out of the forest and turning it into lumber, we wouldn't need Canadian lumber. We're just too easily importing. And you, and you shake your head. Donald, uh, when a tree falls in the woods... It, Good chances it's not lumber material. Uh, most <laughs> it's dead. Uh, most, it's dead. You know. Uh, yes, I agree with you. Remove it. Remove the uh, the tinder, if you will, from the fire. But to think that somehow importing Canadian softwood lumber is causing the problem—it's not there. Uh, so, at, at, how does a comment like that go over with officials around a table? So, you know, in a because way... Because you're, you're, you're telling us to, you know, like the UK, let it all go. If you're, if you're in the midst of this meeting and you're involved in all of this, what are you thinking? Well, you turn to the people you're negotiating with and say, okay, give me your view on all this. So Lighthizer, and there's also a fellow named Wilbur Ross, he's the Commerce Secretary. They are the people closest on this file. They're the ones actually doing the negotiating. And I'm sure Christia Freeland will talk to them, if not on a daily basis, two or three times a week, and gets, well, for lack of a better term, I'll call the straight goods on this deal. And she doesn't pay attention to Trump. Trump is just doing this to feed to his base. And I think if she gets the real story, Lighthizer has said from the beginning he still plans to negotiate with Canada. He's not looking for a two-party deal. We do want NAFTA to be a three-party deal. I just think what Americans are trying to do is give us a very, very short time frame to try to force a deal by August 31. As long as they give a little bit, we can still make that happen, but I don't think we should capitulate just for the sake of capitulating. So this chatter coming out of the president's mouth in regard to Mexico and the United States, all part of the process. These meetings have to occur with Mexico and the United States before the negotiations continue can continue on a a three-country basis. Yeah, or another way to think about it is that even though this is a three-party deal, there were some issues in the three-party deal that are unique between two of the countries. There's no need for the third country to be in the room. Take supply management of the dairy industry. That doesn't really involve Mexico in any shape or form. They don't ship dairy products into the United States, and and they're not a big market for dairy products in the other direction. So that's an issue that really is just Canada and the United States, and Mexico's kind of wasting its time sitting at the table while we have a debate. So there are times for bipartisan talks, but it's still going to be a three-party deal. So when Christia Freeland sits in these meetings with her American counterparts and the negotiations become hot and heavy, does what Donald Trump said the other day or comments like that even make it into the meeting? And does that put Donald Trump's negotiating team at a disadvantage because someone like Christia Freeland is sitting across the table and rolling her eyes at comments from, you know, everything from forest fires to what have you? Right. So, uh, no, they don't work themselves into the negotiations. Smart people stay focused on the task at hand. And, and I don't think it puts anybody at an advantage or a disadvantage. 
of if you ignore Trump. In other words, what Trump is trying to do is distract you from your mission and yeah. get you off track, so to speak. So as long as you stay focused, it's not a problem. The only key thing about these comments is to realize that Lighthizer, whatever deal he can get, he then has to sell to the boss. Now, in this exchange yesterday at the cabinet, uh, uh, Donald Trump said something else that concerned people. He said, uh, Robert, don't rush at this deal. I don't feel the need to make this deal quickly unless you can get a breakthrough. No breakthrough, no deal. Well, of course, now what does that mean? What's the breakthrough he's talking about? What's the big thing? And we don't know. We don't know what that breakthrough is. But clearly what, what Lighthizer has to do when he gets a deal is go back to the boss and say, well, I did it. Here's the big breakthrough you wanted, and he's going to have to sell him on that. If he can, then the deal goes through. But for the life of me, I don't know what Trump's big idea is from one day to the next. Uh, does this have to be a win-or-lose situation for Trump, or is it possible for a win-win, or in the end it will be a win-win, but he'll never admit that? <laughs> well, first let me add one more win. I think, I think NAFTA's got to be a win-win-win. It's got to be right. good for all three countries. Um, uh, I think what Donald Trump needs is to say, thank God I renegotiated this because I got us A and B and C, whatever A and B and C are. Canada has to leave the negotiation and said, well, thank God we negotiated it because we got Q and X and Z, and Mexico's got to do the same thing. And each of the countries are going to downplay something they either had to give up. I, I, Scott, as I'm sitting here talking to you, I am absolutely certain Canada is going to have to modify its supply management. Not throw it out the window, not totally abandon it, but we're going to have to, to change it in some way. We've already shown a willingness to do this in the Trans-Pacific Partnership. We, we showed a willingness to do this with the free trade agreement with Europe. So we're, we're prepared to, to change it in some way, modernize it in some way. But again, we're only prepared to do that if it gets us something on the other side. So you give me something on dispute resolution, I'll give you something on the others, and we've each got something to trumpet as a success story. Why is there still so much chatter about a sunset clause? This isn't doesn't wouldn't appear to be good for any country because again it, it's it's confusion in, in short term planning. So why does he keep selling this when I, I, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be any better for them than it would be Mexico or Canada, would it? Well, he he's of the opinion that some of these deals get signed with no sunset clause thinking that they're going to be good for the country, and then when they get executed, oops, oops, we got that wrong, it's really bad for us, and now because there's no sun-cut clause, there's no easy way to get out of it, other than, as you know, he keeps threatening to simply tear up the agreement. Um, and, and what we're saying back to him is these agreements are so complicated and take so long to negotiate, to say a sunset clause of five years is crazy. What we're proposing, our counterproposal, is that every five years there be a formal reevaluation of the deal and, and some talks to, again, modernize it. Most people felt that we went 23 years with the old NAFTA. We should have modernized it somewhere along that road, but, but not think of it in the same way. And he might, he might buy into that if there's some kind of renewal, but that would be sold to him by Mr. Ross and Mr. Lighthizer. Is this a whole new era for Mexico and the United States, considering they have a new president now and the way uh, Trump is, is chatting? I mean, will this change his tone towards Mexico? Good question. So the new president, a fellow named uh, Lopez Obrador, that's his last name, Lopez Obrador, 
officially takes office on December 1. Now, right now, President Peña Nieto is in conversation with López Obrador, and López Obrador has some of his trusted advisors at these negotiation tables. He comes from the left. Of course, Donald Trump is from the right. And so there's a fear, or at least a, a thinking, that there may be a poorer relations with, between Mexico and the United States after December 1 than before. Now, to date, Mr. López Obrador, while he is a left of... Uh, people on sort of social issues. Um, he doesn't appear to be left on economic issues, so there may actually be common ground economically. But for instance, uh, uh, to the extent Trump has tried to talk to Lopez Obrador about illegal immigration or building the wall, he is not finding a receptive person. So I, I think they feel there's a little opportunity here economically to get a deal done fairly quickly either have the existing president or the new president sign it very, very early into his term before he really sets the tone, because chances are, as they start talking about other non-economic issues, it's going to be a lot tougher going. With a left-leaning Mexican president, how is that going to fare in the future? I mean, it would seem odd that all of a sudden, if the president gets along with this guy. Yeah, so this, this president of, the, of Mexico, Lopez Obrador, he's the former mayor of Mexico City. And in running Mexico City, he came up with some very innovative programs around uh, drug issues, uh, cleaning up some of the drug issues, uh, poverty, homelessness in the city. And the thinking is that now that he's going to become president, that he's going to then expand these programs outside of Mexico City to the whole country. And in a way, that would be good news for Donald Trump, because if, the, if say, homelessness goes down or drug abuse goes down or, or there's a better issue on poverty, there'll be less reason for people to try to illegally immigrate into the United States. The difference between, if you will, the, the wealth of the United States and the poverty of Mexico should go down. This could actually work in his favor, even if they disagree on some other issues. But the, that's the point. It's a black box. We don't know what he's going to be able to do. He is still just one man. There's a great government bureaucracy he's got to fight with, and it may be, like some other presidencies we've seen around the world, uh, a lot of good hope to begin with and failed delivery after a while. So I think that they're just feeling at the moment, if we can get this with the devil we know, the president who's in there now, then we don't have to worry about this. We can suss out uh, Lopez Obrador as his presidency evolves. So obviously getting back to uh, the negotiations in around NAFTA that's going on between the U.S. and Mexico now, how long before, and as you mentioned, Christia Freeland and her staff still very much involved, although not in the meetings, uh, how long before Canada is invited back into the meetings? Is, is this, will it just be a matter of time or will they have to come with hat in hand? Well, I don't think they're coming with ca hat and can uh, ca whatever you just said, hat and ca hat, cap and hand. That's cap, what I was trying for. Thank you. Not, not hat and hand, cap and hand. Yes, I'm mixing uh, my I, metaphors. Right. I, but I think they'll be there next week. I think uh, probably Monday or Tuesday of next week when we get to dates in the 20s, that's when Canada re rejoins the table in Washington. Uh, and we'll see if, if the United States is serious about negotiating. August 31st, which is still just two weeks away, it's, it's not that hard of a deadline to make if everyone's willing to do so. Uh, but we've seen deadlines like this before, and we've seen pressure like this before. You might remember before the Mexican presidential elections, there was a great push in the month of May. didn't work out, and that's what got us the tariffs in June. And by the way, maybe we should just quickly point that out to people as well. This is also the hope that if we can get a new NAFTA deal signed, then the need for these steel and aluminum tariffs go away. Earlier this week, uh, Minister Morneau was in Hamilton uh, talking about support for the steel industry and the possibility that he might put tariffs on foreign-made uh, steel kind trying to enter our company country illegally. 
But his problem gets much easier if we can get a NAFTA by August 31, which oddly is his deadline for consultation on these tariffs for foreign steel. So there's a lot riding on these next two weeks. So will Canada entering back into the into these talks, will this be a, uh, some sort of moment for Trump? Will he say, well, we got this, so now we're letting them back, even though it's just part of the process anyway? He will say what he wants to say, and I, I'm not going to worry about that. I don't think Robert Lighthizer feels that way. I don't think, in fact, I think Robert Lighthizer, uh, who's a very imposing man, he stands about six foot six. Mm. Christian Freeland stands about five foot even. I think he's grown quite fond of Christian Freeland. She is a bulldog. Yeah, there. she's no a firecracker. Absolutely, yeah. and she has she has really shone during these negotiations. He's not taking her for granted. Uh, in fact, I think the only thing in his favor is he likes to not fight a three-way fire. So if he can get Mexico sorted out, then he can put his attentions to Canada. I, I think it's possible we'll have a deal by the end of this month, but it's going to be intense on all sides. So uh, something completely different, Marvin. We all remember the picture, or those that are younger have seen it. I don't remember. I was way too young. Of when the uh, Prime Minister, then Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, uh, had a meeting with the Queen, and the Queen's there in the full garb, and he's doing sort of like a pirouette behind her. Yes. Do you think we're going to see the same sort of photograph, except instead of the Queen, it's Trump and some other uh, dignitary instead of Prime Minister Trudeau? Could you see something like that happening? Because that almost seems fitting here. Well, I've already seen a meme. These are these things they circulate on the Internet, yeah. uh, which is in- entitled the a formal picture of Donald Trump's visit with the Queen, in which you can't see the Queen because Trump is walking in front of her and blocking her out completely. Uh, he, he is a walking um, meme generator. He, he's a walking photo generator this way. I am sure there are still wild things to come. And in fact, Scott, remember there's this midterm election happening yeah. here in the United States. Uh, after that, if the Democrats really take take control, they try to box him in, his behavior may get even more bizarre because he needs to be in the spotlight. So you're down there, you're in California right now, what's the buzz? Are people talking about Trump or are they just, just don't even ask me about it, I'm just trying to be a Californian? The, the second is absolutely right, they don't want to talk about it, they don't want to try to justify it. It's kind of like everyone has a hangover, and uh, they're just trying to you know, take a couple of aspirin and get some orange juice first thing in the morning. Uh, there is a lot of hope for these midterm elections, but there's also a concern, uh, and, and we joke about this, but there is a real vacuum in the leadership of the Democratic yeah. Party. And as you look towards 2020, there is no heir apparent to take on Donald Trump. One heir apparent, Joe Biden. Joe Biden just announced today that he wasn't able to make an appearance. He's, he's developed some sort of a sickness. That's not good. Elizabeth Warren is very much like Hillary Clinton. That might not be a good person. Uh, uh, Bernie Sanders is getting older, and there just doesn't seem to be an heir apparent at this moment. What about, Stormy, Dan- what about Stormy Daniels' lawyer? Is it, well, I, I thought yeah. he was getting into this circus. Yeah, well, welcome, welcome to the circus. But, you know, I'm looking for someone who, uh, if we call it Obama light, someone who's got that message of hope and difference. Um, and I think that may still emerge, but at the moment, that's the biggest concern. Uh, if that doesn't happen, there could still be enough support to see a second term for Donald Trump, and that wouldn't be fun for anybody. Marvin Ryder, business professor at the Groot School of Business, McMaster University, calling us from vacation in California. Marvin, we greatly do appreciate that. Thank you for the time. Anytime. Happy to help out. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Joining us now, Alyssa Freeman, public relations consultant. And, of course, you can read her stuff in HuffingtonPostCanada.com and PR Daily as uh, far as and all sorts of other things. Uh, your thoughts on the loss of Aretha? 
Oh, it is sad. It is a huge loss. Doesn't that moving? Doesn't that music move you? It does. And and think about when she first recorded that. Think about when she first recorded all that music. Yeah. You know, respect was an old Otis Redding um, song about a man who wanted respect for how hard he was working, and then instead they changed it to a woman. And then I heard yesterday that on the news that it was her and her sister that thought of the, you know, the background, soccer to me, soccer to me. Sure. That was her and her sister. Amazing. And that she apparently based... hard, hard life. Hard, hard life. And yet she has become just not an American treasure, but she, her and her music and her voice, an international treasure. A mother at like 12 and then 14? That's, that's... These are things that I never My heard goodness. about her. And she yeah. was very reluctant to talk about them. No kidding. Um, instead of focusing on what her accomplishments were of the day. So, you know, Aretha Franklin, when she sang and, you know, sang about sorrow and sang about things that were tough to deal with, it obviously came from a very, very true place, which mm. is why so many people could relate to her music. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about something equally important, Tim Horton's coffee. Well, there you go. Uh, is there a problem with the lids or is this a PR spin? Is this about doing something for the customer, this company that doesn't give a damn about the, the Tim employee or the Tim customer, just trying to make as much money as they possibly can off this Canadian institution? Is this just another uh, way to cut costs in the sense that this lid's cheaper? Okay, so here's what I took away. I read the article, and it was an article with Canadian Press. Um, And when I read that article, this is the one sentence that really got me, Scott. When the two, when the president of, um, what is it, American Brands International, sat down with the Canadian Press, and I went, oh, so they, this is just not a press release. They actually organized a meeting, which is something that PR people do, for either within the organization, for the organization, or as a consultant, you would do it. And so they actually had a desk, a desk side chat, which is also known, it could be an editorial board, or it could be just a face-to-face meeting with a reporter, which does not happen very often, Scott. So when you meet directly with a reporter, it's, it's less to talk about the lids, but more to talk about the story of how they're trying to do good by the brand in Canada. Because that story was a little bit about the lids and a lot of it about how they're changing the packaging, how they want to be more environmentally friendly, um, how they're trying to rebuild the brand in Canada. So the lids was really just the top of the issue. Good one. Very nice. More underneath that. So when did this company finally realize that uh, it was bleeding in Canada and that it, it certainly needed some attention? Well, I mean, their first hint should have been when the franchisees got together, and I believe they call themselves the Great North franchisees, yep. and uh, they became a bit of a, a, a bane of the, of the parent company existence. And then they started to get rid of all the different levels and take away sort of the infrastructure that the franchisees de- depended on in order to help run their operations. So they always had a guy, you know, for Western Territory, for the South, for whatever that was able to manage their concerns or to help them, you know, with whatever they needed to run their operations, their franchises. So they got rid of all that. That should have been their first concern. And then, you know, you know what, Scott, I actually read the comments on on this story. And sometimes you have to take the comments with a grain of salt. But really, I have never read such vitriol against what was known as a beloved brand before in my life. 
people are saying, well, who cares about the lids? Their coffee is awful. I've stopped going to Tim's. I don't like what they stand for anymore. And he's a, the donuts need more fat and less sugar. They're just too super sweet. And how, you know, you can't even go and just get a coffee and a donut anymore. You have to stand in, you know, the wait in line for somebody ordering 10 sandwiches for your whole office. Hmm. So people are generally angry angry about this brand so what tim hortons did or maybe perhaps what they were counseled by their pr company was to have a sit down with the reporter and appear face to face with a media outlet that has the most power in canada which is canadian press because they are a subscription service and what that means is is that every daily newspaper weekly doesn't matter can subscribe to cp and pull stories off of them that they know are properly read, read uh, uh, written, and properly vetted. And I've worked with many reporters at CP over my lifetime, and they're all super professional. So by choosing to sit down with Canadian press was strategically a great move, and it also allowed them, probably an exclusive, because I haven't seen them sitting down with any other media outlets reporters, so it allowed them an exclusive, and it allowed them to tell their story from top to bottom. So perhaps the lids were the hook, that they're trying to change lids, but they probably said, listen, we're going to tell you about all our plans in order to try to gain back our brand, um, our brand essence in Canada. Were the lids that big a problem? And if the lids were that big a problem, why wouldn't the good company that was there before this one that owned it have fixed that? Honestly, I think that people are thinking that if it ain't broke, you know, don't fix it. I mean, right now that we know the environmental lobby is all about plastic straws. So what they say is that they're going to change a lot of their packaging because they don't want the environmentalists to come after them. Um, so they'd like to stay ahead of the game. Honest to goodness, they do a, they need to do a lot more than just change the packaging and worrying about environmentalists because there's a lot more people in Canada that used to go to Tim's that don't anymore. Uh, and you, it'd be interesting to know how much McDonald's has nibbled away from this, too, with their uh, well, cafe experience. I, you know, you can tell because, you know, everybody's got, they both have all-day breakfast now. You know, they yeah. both have, McDonald's has the free coffee or a free newspaper with it. McDonald's has really worked it. And I'll tell you something, I like McDonald's Yeah, it's good, I it's mean, good, yep. I am a Starbucks girl through and through, but listen, I don't have a problem with any McDonald's coffee. And I think that what Tim's has to do is get back to the knitting. Now, I know that they've recently hired a new uh, chief marketing officer, um, Derek Kent, who used to be at the Canadian Olympic Association for many, many years. So they brought him on board to help turn around uh, their their loss of audience and their and, and also remember, Tim's used to be the number four beloved brand in this country. Yeah. It has now dropped to 50. Is this all due to that fight that Kathleen Wynne uh, picked with them in regard to the minimum wage? Is that Was that sort of the tipping point for all of this? Well, she didn't do any favors to do that. And of course, the, the one franchise, franchise that she decides to pick on is the one that's actually still run by the Joyce family. Um, yeah. you know, secondly, I, don't, I think people saw right through that. No, I think that what um, the parent, the American parent company has done is has eroded the brand themselves since they have taken it on. People are not stupid. They they notice the quality, maybe, maybe perhaps a lack of quality. Um, you know, they don't like the way that they're t- they've taken uh, a Canadian brand and, and turned it into something that they no longer recognize. So I think you know this is sort of a death by a thousand cuts. The whole Kathleen Wynne issue was just you know one more chip. 
And these guys really have to build up their brand equity to want to where it once was. And that is not going to be easy. How stupid is this, though? At the end of the day, come on, you go in, you buy. How how dumb do you have to be to just assume if you're going to go in and buy this beautiful Canadian you know, company that you can just buy it and take your hands off the wheel and hope for the best. Like that just seems dumb. Guys, you know, I don't know, but you got to remember they have bought other fast food franchises uh, before. So, you know, they have Burger King, for example. So I guess what they thought was, let's just use the same formula um, that we use for these companies, which, you know, these are predominantly American brands and we're just going to bring it into Canada. The biggest mistake that anybody can make is that when you enter a new territory or a new country, just because it might take you an hour to fly here, doesn't mean that we are like your your audience in the States. Yeah. Canadians are different. They consume things differently, and they think about things differently. So you cannot presume that you can just take your cookie-cutter approach and bring it here north of the border. And that's exactly what they did. And they took not just a cookie-cutter approach, but they took a cost-cutting approach, you know, more like with a machete than perhaps with any forethought of what it would mean to the brand. And everyone knew this going in. As soon as this company purchased the brand, everybody knew, hey, here's their history. They're going to cut it right to the bone and bing, bing, bing. They did exactly what everyone predicted they would do. But they have never really, you know, perhaps operated in a country like Canada before. Yes, there's Burger Kings here. And but Burger King is not an iconic no, Canadian brand, no, no. and any sense of market research would have told them that. Now, whether they did the market research or not, or just thought that what they have done before would apply basically to this brand and to this business, they've been proven wrong. And you know, it it really has caused them a lot of stress and annoy- annoyance, and the media is not letting up either. Uh, so clearly, yeah. clearly they didn't talk to Mr. and Mrs. Target, but that's another story. Uh, let me ask story. you this question. Like, This is a worldwide conglomerate company. They're known for doing this and going in and buying companies like Timmy's and, and so on and so forth. Uh, do you think that they were looking at this as a worldwide expansion? In other words, I don't give a dang uh, you know, where it came from or what it means to the home country. This is a good template. We're going to run with it. The, we can take this and add efficiencies and, and make some profit here. Is this a worldwide problem for them? In other words, uh, they don't care what Canada says or, or barks about this brand. We're, we're taking it international, and that's where our focus is anyway. And none of these problems exist outside of Canada. Well, here's the issue. You know, when they, you know, Tim's is no stranger to the States, and they did try to strategically open in certain areas, I guess more along the east, eastern seaboard. Yeah. Uh, of Tim Hortons, and they've done okay. They haven't done great. They have done just okay. And obviously, you know, when the American company came in and said, all right, well, they're already here. If we just cut uh, efficiencies and create a sort of a cheaper bottom line, maybe we can help expand because that's what they're all about. They're about finding expandable brands, brands that already have a history, brands that already have a template. They don't have to necessarily reinvent the wheel or the menu and take them and make them larger. So, you know, I think that maybe maybe, or maybe they did not take so seriously the fact that Tim's was not such a resounding success story in the States like the way people thought it would be. That would have been your first clue. And, and the second clue is that I think you have to treat every brand separately. You just cannot take a cookie-cutter approach. Yes, there is a formula to marketing. Yes, there is a formula to buying companies. However, I think that when you take them over, you have to know what the DNA of the brand is, 
what the essence of the brand means to the people who frequent it the most and not try to dilute or lose that in the process. Too little, too late? I hope not. I think that they're really trying. I mean, they have hired this new chief marketing officer, and he's going to have to do a deep dive. Things are not going to turn around so quickly, or although uh, companies tend to want things to turn around very quickly when they you know, invest a lot of money into one position to try and change perception of the brand. Although it is it'll a, be a build over time. Although it is a, 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 an icon Canadian brand, is it an old people's brand? Uh, you know, I, I can think of young teenagers, man. They don't want to spend the, spend the time at a Timmy's. They're going to a Starbucks. No, that's, that's not true. I mean, you know, my daughter's 18, and they love Timmy's. They love it. Oh, there you go. They love it. They'll go. They'll get their turkey clubs. They love it. The hot chocolate. So it's not like it's an old brand like Facebook no. to them. No. no. Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Instagram-Facebook comparison here? I don't even want to go there, Scott. Just stop it. <laughs> so, see, I touched a nerve with the mother. All right. Uh, so, what will it take to do this? Can you turn this Canadian juggernaut around? Can you turn this donut around? Well, according to what I read in the recent article, the sit down they had with Canadian Press. So, they talked about the lids, they talked about their repackaging because you would get like a Boston cream donut, take it out of the package, and all the topping would be lo- left on the in, in the bag. Which is you know, a valid point if you're buying a Boston cream donut. Yeah. But um, And then they talked about the type of commercials that they're going to put back to show you know that they are a loving brand, that Canadians love their brand, and that the people who work at Tim's love their customers. So they are starting a new uh, brand campaign, a new ad campaign, but I think that's just, just one thing. You know, when you're looking at a brand turnaround, there's a number of cogs in the wheel, right? So your advertising has to be running, you know, uh, on all, um, you know, uh, it has to be running at top level. Yep. Your messaging has to be running. Your food has to be top notch and your service has to be top notch. So, and you then you've got to regain your goodwill. And that is a big, big file for any company that wants to take that on. So, yeah, I, I would say that absolutely. I think that brands uh, have cycles. I think that when they're hot, they're hot, and when they're not, they're not. So you capitalize on what's good and hope that it will carry you through the, the bad times. Second Cup announced this week they're going to sell pot in their stores that aren't doing well. Is this an option for the many, many locations of Tim Hortons? Can you see, uh, my goodness, if, if the lounge and cafe thing ever comes to, to be, you know, the coffee and the cannabis, you can see that going together. Uh, what about Second Cup's thoughts on, on, you know, perhaps taking some of their stores that aren't doing so well and getting into the cannabis business? Well, I think Second Cup has always been a struggling brand in Canada. I, I think that it's, it, it did very well when it first came out and then Starbucks came in and then there was a direct comparison to do you like Starbucks or do you like second cup and try as they might rebranding um, all their locations are, you know, decorated. They, they souped up the interior design of it. Their coffee has been the coffee. I mean, I gotta be, I gotta tell you, I don't drink second cup coffee. Yeah. So I, you know, when you hear about a company that's saying, well, now we're going to sell cannabis, it seems to me like a bit of a Hail Mary pass. Yeah. Do you think you'll see others following suit in oh this in this environment? 
I don't know. I, I hope Tim doesn't take the selling pot. I mean, honest to goodness. Too family for that, wouldn't you think? I, I, I think so. Like, it's what, you want a pot of coffee or just pot? I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm putting it in another pot. There's a whole new resonance for that phrase, right? There's more than regular and decaf here. Exactly. I hear you. I hope not. Too many kids go there. Alyssa Freeman, public relations consultant, uh, HuffingtonPostCanada.com, PR Daily. You can read her stuff there. Alyssa, as always, thanks for the time. Have a great weekend. I'll buy you a cup of coffee, Scott. Thank you. And now it's back to our knitting. <laughs> I love that. See you later. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.